This is an O'Reilly Media Podcast. I'm John Bruner. As we start to see artificial intelligence make its way into all sorts of critical processes, from driving cars to making loan decisions at banks, users of the AI systems will demand more transparency. They'll want to know more about how these AI systems reach the decisions that they make. That's the topic of our podcast today, and I'm joined by Andy Hickel, who's the Chief Product Officer at Intel Safran Cognitive Solutions Group. Andy, great to have you on. It's great to be here, John. So we're going to talk about bias in artificial intelligence. I wonder if we could begin by uh, having you sort of walk us through some of the common sources of bias in artificial intelligence. Sure. Uh, so you know, if you're familiar with the way supervised learning systems are built, uh, you can start to see about ways that bias can creep in and start impacting the results that you would see. So, you know, in most cases, we take some sample, we, we start with a population that we care about, and we try to sample that population, and we, you know, build a machine learning algorithm, whether it's deep learning or supervised learning or unsupervised learning, and voila, we get some sort of output, you know, some sort of code that allows us to be able to make predictions about the way the world works. And, you know, when we sample appropriately from the population, that is when our samples marry the kind of the actual true distribution that's out there, life is good. Mm -hmm. uh, the predictors actually can produce the results that we're also been looking for. Where we get into trouble is where when we're imperfectly sampling, right? So whether we, uh, you know, we we introduce sampling bias by uh, pulling just from a corner of the distribution that we uh, that we think is relevant, mm -hmm. uh, ignoring other parts of the distribution, or where we, um, you know, we, you know, our own ignorance necessarily uh, sinks us, mm -hmm. right? Where we don't think that there are uh, areas that are, you know, could contribute to variation that ultimately are out there. And I guess that's, you know, that's the traditional source of bias is the kind of sampling bias. You know, we're also seeing as we move towards more semi-supervised systems where we're depending on input from users, we're actually seeing places where users introduce bias to the system, mm. right? So, you know, they say, hey, I know what kinds of songs I'm looking for Pandora to play for me, mm -hmm. uh, and I know a good thing when I see it, so I'm going to thumbs up just the, the songs that I, I, I like. And that, you know, that's fine. It leads to kind of a local maximum, but ignores all of the other kinds of part of the population, all the other songs that you never hear right. uh, that you might necessarily be interested in. And when designers uh, design these algorithms, they make certain assumptions about how the users might interact with them, what kinds of decisions the users might make, and perhaps right. uh, introduce bias by guiding the, the users to train the algorithm in a particular way. That's right. You know, I think what's really interesting now, especially as we think about systems that are, as they operate more autonomously, and they're building their own knowledge bases, and they're building their own models, uh, and they're out there reading the web and trying to pull knowledge from different sources without humans involved, uh, we've got to start worrying about kind of learned sources of bias or autonomously learned sources of bias. Uh, you know, and the classic example that you know, we can maybe familiar with in this day and age is, you know, if you had a, a bot that was, you know, pulling and building models based on my Facebook feed, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it would be, there would be lots of different kinds of, and, you know, lots of different things that it would need to worry about in terms of trying to make sure that it was learning from ground truth knowledge. Hey, sure, some knowledge out there is factual. Uh, some of it is bogus and intentionally so. Uh, some of it is subjective, right? Some of it is mm -hmm. just somebody's opinion or somebody's belief. Uh, and if you're not able to distinguish between those different categories of knowledge, uh, you maybe end up making decisions and, and a kind of an unrelated application down the road uh, that trying to bakes in some of those false assumptions that you're learning from the web. So you know, we see these kind of cascading effects. And it's really important, you know, as you see about moving these systems and these kind of uh, more and more complex systems that work in higher dimensional space uh, to be able to understand where the knowledge is coming from that they're making decisions on. Right. And when you when you train uh, systems with web data, you are uh, training them with uh, insights, intuition, uh, computation that's basically just drawn from uh, a random sample of 
human brains and it comes with all the biases that uh, the humans might add in, right? Yeah, no, and I think there's what we're, we're we're knocking on the door right now is not just recapitulating the knowledge that they see on the web, but actually composing new knowledge, right? So we have to be tra- you know, careful of understanding what our bots are, or what our systems are learning, where they're learning it, uh, and how they're you know using that new knowledge or deriving new knowledge in their in their decision making. So uh, we've seen some interesting uh, progress in actually using artificial intelligence techniques to spot uh, societal uh, bias, right? Word embeddings have been a really fruitful uh, area for exploring the way that we use language to suggest certain things about um, certain people. Do you think there's an opportunity to use AI to sort of explore and address um, higher, higher level bias? Yeah, no, and I think we're seeing some really great work. There, you know, a group at Boston University had a paper at NIPS this year, and it was the, the title is so great, I'll have to say it here. It, it was <laughs> "Man is to Computer Programmer as Woman is to Homemaker," right? Uh-huh. And this was these were the default hypotheses that came out of um, you know the word embedding work that they had looked at, and they said, "Gosh, this is wrong," uh, and for uh-huh. so many uh-huh. ways. Uh, the question is, how do we detect these things algorithmically, these kinds of biases uh, algorithmically, and then address them in the system, right? It, not all data is created equal. How do we necessarily infer across that and bake in inference to our kind of large-scale knowledge acquisition techniques? Right, right. So uh, perhaps one model for uh, for uh, eliminating bias or addressing bias in artificial intelligence would be to look at the mechanisms that uh, scientists and and other kind of researchers have developed to address uh, bias in other areas of research. How do how do humans generally address bias through reason, and and is it possible to apply this to AI? Yeah, no, I mean, I think one of the things that I look for when we're trying to build new features for any kind of AI system is, you know, what are humans doing in comparable situations, right? We, mm-hmm. we, we, every day we're, you know, we're, we're faced with lots of different kinds of inputs of varying quality, um, whether it's all, you know, in our interactions on the web or interactions with email or interactions with other people. Um, you know, and we do a lot of interesting things that AI systems are on the cusp of being able to do in a real way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we test implicit assumptions. You know, I will ask you, if you, if you say something that I don't necessarily agree with, I'm going to come back and question you know, how did you ultimately come to that conclusion? You know, or I'll ask you for supporting evidence, right? Prove that to me, or I'll look for gaps in your knowledge. Maybe there's things that you don't necessarily know about that I know about. Uh, but essentially, what, what you know, conversation works towards building a kind of working hypotheses, you know, and a shared view of the world, right? Mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you know what I know, and I know what you know, and that we're using that together to be able to make sure that I mean, that's the grounding for all of our conversation. Uh, and if that's perfect, or it's, it's as close to perfect as we can hope for, then when I make assumptions or hypotheses about the world, you can not look at me like a crazy person. You can look at me and, and believe that I've, I've got some sort of well-founded kind of chain of argumentation that allowed me to get to that kind of that view, even if you don't agree. Uh, and then you can actually rationalize my point of view and understand why you don't agree. Right. Uh, and so I look at the same, you know, I, my hope and my dream and my passion is to be able to get something, you know, to be able to do the same thing for these kinds of complex decision-making uh, systems that are complex decision-making tasks that we're using AI for at this point. Things like trying to predict where a fault is going to occur in a production line mm-hmm. or what kinds of parts are going to fail on, on, on an aircraft or a ship. Uh, or uh, trying to recognize, you know, how suspicious is that kind of financial activity, you know, in a banking situation. Um, you know, I don't want I I don't want my AI system just to say, you know, that's point eight suspicious, Dave, uh, <laughs> and, and 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 be full stop. <laughs> I haven't gotten to the point where I necessarily fully trust my AI systems to be able to operate independently without me having to check their work. And so one of the things that we work on at Saffron is in terms of being able to look at the hypotheses that uh, you know that our learning systems make 
uh, and be able to do the due diligence to be able to generate explanations that can allow a layperson or an end user to understand how the system came to that rationale or came to that decision. Uh, and it's something that's kind of a, a nice property of what we, you know, the, our approach, but it's not just germane to us. It's something that right. we should be expecting out of all of the AI systems that we build these days, whether it's deep learning or unsupervised learning or cognitive systems or you name it. Right. So in part two of this conversation with Andy, we're going to get into some applied sort of more technical uh, ways to address bias and to think about building systems that, that address bias. My guest is Andy Hickel, who's the chief product officer at Intel Safran Cognitive Solutions Group. I'm John Bruner.